Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Good evening, Matt. How are you? Dude, I'm really good, actually. It's uh, it's kind of nice to be doing this weeknight a little bit later. Things are winding down. It's it's cool. Yeah, this is uh, this is after hour spirit of time. Usually, we're about happy hour uh, time of day, and this is uh, a little bit of a late a later entree. And this feels kind of fun. I don't know. Maybe something's in the air, or or maybe it's just uh, maybe we're a couple deep already. But something feels a little different. The, the couple of deep and maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a few deep. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. So what's, uh, what, what's new in your, in your neck of the woods? Dude, really new, not much. Um, it feels like there's been, uh, you know, not a lot of releases or watch related stuff. Um, good feedback on recent episodes, which has been great. Um, like our, you know, we've gone, I think from two to three listeners, which is awesome. Um, I've got something that I'm going to tease a little bit in the recommendations. I literally was just on the the hotline with, you know, one of our former guests regarding an upcoming project. So I'll, I'll talk about that at the end, Ooh, but tease yeah. us. other than that, not too much new. How about with you? Uh, well, I went to the dentist today and, uh, normally that would not be a uh, cause to, to share or, or, or give you any updates there, but my hygienist, which is, uh, also a pretty awesome guy. Uh, and I hope a new listener uh, spotted on my wrist, uh, what was, you know, what, what he was needed to compelled to ask me what was, what it was. And it set us off into a whole hour of talking about watches. Well, he did a lot of talking and and I sort of sat there with my mouth wide open. Um, but, uh, Christian, (laughs) hope you're out there. Uh, we'll get into it, but he a really awesome guy, really appreciate him. And, uh, didn't realize that it was a, uh, a whiz, you know, in hidden, hidden in plain sight. Yeah, doing the uh, the dentist is always a fan favorite. Not <laughs> well. Uh, moving on from that, let's do wrist check, poor check. I'm actually going to start because I just hinted at it. Um, well, wait, wait, wait. We've got it. We can't go right to wrist wrist check, poor check. We've oh. got to because uh, we, we're looping somebody in here. And whoa, is that is that why we're is that why we're late night? I think so. Oh, I think so. Shit. Okay. So I've I've had like four beers. How many have you had? Uh, I, I'm not counting at this point, but, um, yeah, you know what? Okay. I see the show notes now let's jump into this. So, so we have everybody's favorite meme master, uh, the newest podcaster on the block and, uh, generally, uh, just unbelievably well-regarded and, and, and quite a funny, uh, person in the Instagram and watch community bro dinky. What is up? Hey guys, thank you for accommodating me. I know East coast, West coast gets a little messy at times, but I'm really glad to be here, and I think it's going to be a fun episode. Dude, only in 90s hip-hop, dude. Only in 90s hip-hop. It's funny. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes, yeah, yes. We, we've moved past that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I'm I'm stoked. I mean, I personally, I think bro is like the the Lenny Bruce, or, or dare I say it, the Dave Chappelle of meme watch humor. And 
you know, I'm just, I'm super stoked to have you on, bro. Finally, we've kind of gone back and forth for quite a while and not, I mean, there's the obvious reasons, you know, you've got a, a great meme page and and we've sort of back channeled on stuff, but there's another kind of connection to the stuff that we talk about in terms of, you know, booze and spirits and food and stuff like that. And we're going to, I think, you know, really just rip the packaging off that and go into that tonight. So it's good to have you here. Yeah, it's really good to be here and I'm I'm excited because I I know you're on the level interest-wise of what I do in my personal life and that's not extremely common. And I mean both of you really you both kind of have a different angle on things, but I can appreciate both. In fact, I almost hit up Greg the other night. I went to a Mexican uh, Mexican spot with my wife and they had this giant tequila list and if I would have thought he would have responded in time, I was like I was just going to snap a picture and be like, "Give me a recommendation, man. I'm going in." <laughs> Oh man, I'll keep the hotline open for you any time of day. Awesome. Dude, you could do that. I've done that more than once. I've, I, <laughs> it's happened, yeah. Yeah, I've I've talked to both Greg and uh, Greg, I don't know if I told you this, but I've tapped into a former guest, Jason K, a few times. I'm like, hey man, what what's good? Like click <laughs> on this shelf. What should I buy? Oh, <laughs> uh, those are the best messages. They really are. You know, it's like uh, I get excited when I see them because I'm like, oh man, somebody's doing something fun. I'm gonna help be a part of it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, in that case, then now that we've introduced Brodinky, let's go ahead and do that uh, that wrist check, poor check. What do you think? Yeah, well, let, let's be let's be you know uh, courteous here, and I, I think we want to extend it to our guest first, uh, bro. What's on your wrist, and uh, and what's in your glass tonight? So I had to reach into my vault for something uh, to wear on the wrist tonight because, in in case anybody doesn't know, Matt and I basically have the exact same watch collection, which is extremely <laughs> strange because I don't think it's a super common collection. It's it has some popular pieces, but we almost have these same identical collection. It's a little scary. But so I went with my uh Seiko Samurai Pad Eye. It's the SRPG 21. Uh cool overall watch. It's got kind of that globish dial, almost like a, an aquanaut. And it's got a really nice hint of that carolina blue on the minute hand and uh also around the bezel i really nice color combination and these newer seiko rubbers i have to say are really comfortable the old ones sucked for lack of a better word like the one you got on your skx was terrible these newer ones really comfortable i really enjoy them and i pretty much wear most of my seikos on that in the glass uh to tie greg in here a little basic but uh casamigos blanco i got a, a healthy pour here with some ice going straight just gonna let it flow i gotta catch up to to matt actually <laughs> <laughs> matt did uh give us in the uh in the pregame intro uh a, a heads up that he he's been working on a few things and matt if i accidentally call you mike forgive me because my one of my favorite movies is rounders and the main character is mike mcdermott and they call him mike mcd and forever i've known you as matt mcd <laughs> but in my head i feel like i screw that up and so if i call you mike at any point it is not disrespect it's actually a tribute so you know if you just want to call so a lot of my friends going way back they i'm just mcd that's so that's i answer to that for sure oh nice <laughs> right on right on well hey so um Greg, I think I've told you about this. I'm going to, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll take the next, uh, you know, wrist check, poor check, but we may have talked about this, maybe not, but I've definitely talked about this with bro, but one of our mutual friends, Greg, like low key DM'd me maybe a year ago 
because of the similarities, Brodinky's not exaggerating. Like we have probably f- maybe I would think at least four or five relatively kind of high profile pieces in common. And, yeah. um, and our, our friend Jason was like, dude, this was before, you know, bro had been on podcasts or anything like that. And he was like, are you bro dinky? <laughs> and be, you know, bro, you've got a, a, a polar explorer too. Correct. Same reference. Yep. You've got the watch that I'm wearing tonight, which is the the Grand Seiko SBGA413. So this is the season's, you know, the pink watch, basically. Um, Oh, help me out. What are, there's a couple others. Uh, uh, so you have an Arnie. Arnie. Uh, 145.022 Speedmaster. Yep. Now, am I crazy or is yours a 71 also? Mine is a 71. That is scary. Oh, this is like Halloween episode. You know, this is spooky. (laughs) Yeah. Black Bay GMT. That's right. That's five. Yep. (laughs) Turtle. Did we get a turtle? I've got a turtle, but I I have a, um, oh, I always forget the reference. I think it's 779. So it's the, the guilt dial. Okay. I have the all black, but. Okay. Yeah. The the 777. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know. It, it, there's not too many people, Greg, when you think about it, that have like, you know, the Black Bay GMT, you know, a, a, um, uh, 16.570 Polar, you know, a, a Speedmaster and the, the Grand Seiko, you know, the spring dial. And so, yeah, so a, a, at least one person has, you know, kind of suspected that we're the same. We, they never see us in the same room, right? So. Yeah. And then in the glass, I'm actually double fisting it. So this is what I have right now. So this is crazy. And I'm I'm double fisting because this is so hardcore. Um this is bottle logic. So uh bro, mm. bottle, bottle logic is a um a really kind of avant-garde uh micro brew craft brew place here in Southern California, not too far from Disneyland. And they they do some really amazing beers, but this one is done in cooperation with Claremont Craft Ale. That's kind of where I grew up in that area. I went to high school in that area. Okay. And this thing is called Technical Challenge. So I took a picture of the bottle because there's a, a lot of information on here. First of all, this thing is like 14%. Yeah, nice. baby. Okay. So this is an Imperial Stout with orange. And the way I would describe this, this thing is so dense. It like it absorbs light in terms of color. Um, it's like, yeah, uh, either, you know, what a, a black hole or neutron star or something, but it, um, do you, have you ever had those little chocolate cordials that are the little liquor bottles and inside is, you know, the, the liqueur. Love yes. them. So this is basically in, in a beer format. This is like the, uh, the cordial for something like Grand Marnier. And that's what it tastes like. It's like cacao chips, the, the orange like essence in there. And it's like a real, real, real low key carbonation. So it's, it's a little flat, but it, it tastes almost like drinking like a, uh, like a cold chocolate milk or a cold, you know, um, cocoa based beverage that's got that orange through it. It's really good, but it's powerful. Eat your heart out untapped. This is where you come for real beer reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And then just to to cut that in the palate, it's <laughs> this is the uh, Trejo Cerveza. <laughs> nice. The, the light. Yeah. In fact, we'll. There's this nice. Yeah. Love it. I don't care what Josh says. I love that sound. 
That'll be a palate cleanser. What does Josh know? He doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. So that's me. So how about you, bud? Uh, did you risk check yourself? I did. I've got the, the, the GS, the 413. Ah, you did. That's right. It was a yep, subtle. Yep. He snuck, he wove it in there. It was very, very wo- Yeah, it was, it was woven. And I got so mesmerized, <laughs> I think by the description of the, the cherry cordial liqueur, uh, bottle logic that I, I honestly just, I kind of blacked out for about 30 seconds. I might have to pick one of those up this weekend. Is that over at Vendome, Matt? It is at Vendome and, All right. um, it is, uh, so, uh, I'll just, I'll prepare you for the sticker shock. It's like 25 bucks for a pint. Okay. Okay. Good meat, ain't, good meat ain't cheap and cheap meat ain't good. That's right. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I think we might think we might talk about that today. Fact check true. Oh man. Okay. On my wrist, uh, GMT master two, 16, seven, 10 LN, um, that is what uh, my hygienist uh, hygienist uh, spotted as he was um, getting me prepped up for the uh, for the dentist and sent us on a, a, a great conversation. And uh, it just felt right to keep it on through the day. Um, he said he kind of peeked over. He said, "You wear yeah, you know." He probably only saw the bezel, probably you know, sticking out from the cuff uh, the shirt cuff. And he said, Are "You wearing a sub?" I said, "No, actually, is the GMT Master too." And and that set us off. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, in the glass. I've got um, November's shipment of uh, uh Milate. So um, mezcal. And uh, this is a pretty cool one. This is perfect for the uh, for the season. This is a, uh, a Popola Met, um, which is the agave type, but it's a, uh, a pachuga. Uh, uh, and if you're familiar with mezcal, uh, and I thought this was also super appropriate for bro tonight, just because it's a, you know, just a, the preparation, you know, speaks to sort of the chef, you know, the chef mentality. But, um, you know, if, when you have a pachuga mezcal, you know, there's two distillations as normal, but there's a third extra distillation. And in that third distillation, they hang, you know, uh, usually a, a, a chicken, but it could be some sort of protein and a series of fruits and spices and, and everything, just all the good stuff drips back down into the still for that third distillation. And you usually get like a really, you know, meaty, proteiny, kind of chewy, uh, umami kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, a spirit. And so it's perfect for kind of this time of year. thought it was perfect for bro. And uh, it's November's offering from, uh, from a latte. So it's always fun to share that with you guys. And, and that's what I'm working with. So salute. I was going to ask because pechuga in the vernacular I'm used to, I work with a lot of South American workers, is generally in referring to a chicken breast. So right. that I was, I was curious. I was going to ask if you didn't explain it, but I, I appreciate you going into that uh, level of detail. How did you get so into tequila? Is it just a hobby for you or? It definitely started as a hobby. I think, um, so I, I did homebrew for a little while and um I had a little more space at the time and I was super into beer, like especially when I first got to Southern California, because uh, I had I grew up in back east, um, kind of Philadelphia area, uh, really loved a lot of the breweries out there, Trogues and Victory and some of the more older, I know Victory. Yeah, Victory is so good, right? Still one Victory of my is good. Yeah, very good. And uh, got out west and was just enamored with sort of the San Diego beer scene. L.A. beer scene wasn't quite developed at that time. I think, you know, there was a lot of West Coast, you know, NorCal and San Diego a lot of great beer scene and, and LA has really built up since then. But so I started homebrewing and then I moved into a loft downtown and I kind of got rid of all my stuff because I just didn't feel like I had space and I started to lose the time to do it. And so I think I was just looking for another spirit 
you know, another sort of drink to really dive all the way into. And um, kind of had heard about tequila a little bit, you know, would grab some here or there at the bar or whatever, nothing really serious. And we were living downtown by a really great restaurant uh, or excuse me, bar in downtown LA called um, Las Perlas. And uh, they, they, <laughs> it's only Mexican be- spirits and beverages. There, there's no vodka. There's no whiskey. There, you can't even buy it. There's, it's not nice. there. And so we started to, you know, just talk to the bartenders, learn about it. And, you know, we were starting to travel to Mexico a little bit more at that point. And so just really, you know, the culture struck me that, you know, the, 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 around the, the production of the spirit, you know, also of course, just, you know, Mexico itself and, and started to really dive into it and, and kind of went from there. It's been fun. It's by far, you know, one of my favorite things to, to learn about and talk about and, and sip for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I appreciate that because even as a pretty novice tequila drinker, just trying out the different, you know, Reposado, Blancos, there's so many levels, Mezcals, there's a lot of layers there. And I, I feel like it goes very underappreciated because I, I, I had a bartender that it was pretty much my regular bar I used to go to. And he was, he fancied himself a mixologist, like a knowledgeable dude. And so on slow nights, we'd be hanging out. We were regular. So he hooked us up. But he would pour us little half shots and he'd say, oh, taste this. And he'd be tasting it and say, okay, notice the nuances in this. And this is a, and he would explain the differences. And that was like my first exposure to it. Now that I know what it is, like I, I, when I listen to you normally, one of three listeners, thank you. But, <laughs> um, but when I listen to you normally, like I, I take it in and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Like I have, an, I have such an appreciation for somebody who's that passionate about something, even if it's, you know, just simply a, a drink, but that's really great. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to talk about. I think to your point, it's tequila's been having a moment probably for you know maybe a few years where I think it's sort of entering the mainstream. Um, well, it's entered the mainstream, you know, and some of the other ones, mezcals and you know, ricias and some other things are still a little bit under the surface. But so there's a kind of a fun um, uh, learning curve there, and, and sharing it with people is fun, and and I think people appreciate it. It's you know, I, we love the brown spirits. We love whiskeys and bourbons and and, and scotches. And um, we talk about rum sometimes. Like we talk about a lot of stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, agave-based spirits to me, you know, the the raw material that goes into them is just so incredible. It's so much, you know, there's a there's a lot that goes into it, time, energy, um, you know, and the cultural kind of piece to it is, as well is super fun. So it's it's cool to share. And I'm honored that you would pour, I'm honored that you would pour tequila tonight. That's so, that's yeah. so fun. And they use those cool knives on like a stick. It's like a, yeah. I don't know how you describe that thing, but it's, I've seen it in the commercials. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. It's called a, yeah, it's called a koa. And that thing is, <laughs> man, you gotta, you gotta be skilled to know what you're doing or you'll yeah, lose don't a Don't hit your foot sure. with that thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, hey, I, I so we've sort of, well, I won't say we teased this, but um, we're going to come around to this in a second. Um, so, bro, just by way of like uh, uh, reintroduction, I mean, you have your own podcast now, Wrist Cheese Radio, which is rad. I've listened to all of the episodes that you have out, and it's three of them so far, right? Fantastic. Thank you. But one of the things, I mean, and also you've had a number of appearances on another podcast that we listen to a lot and like a lot, which is uh, the Whiskey and Watches guys. And you even uh, did a, a takeover recently. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, it was fun to be on the other side of the uh, the microphone, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, that's super cool. But wh- so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, people who listen to podcasts and a lot of people, I think, listen to multiple podcasts in this space, which is great. Thank you for listening to us if you do. Um, 
but you know, they, we've probably heard you talk about watches and we'll talk about watches, but the other thing that's kind of out there that I think we're particularly interested in me and Greg is not just the, the watch aspect of your life, but the fact that the, the kind of the lesser known thing about you. And that is that you are a chef and I am. And there's a whole story behind that. I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, that's, that's my career. And I do kind of tease it once in a while. It's usually in a story. I don't really don't post it much permanently on there, but if I'm doing some cool stuff or I have a really fancy something or other that I got cooked up, I'll, I'll throw the wrist shot up there and I'll, I'll, I'll put something up. Or if somebody wrist checks me, that's always, I take the opportunity to show them what I'm doing in addition, at least make it a little interesting. You know, I feel like people, I feel like people who are into watches have appreciation for finer things. So when you can show them something like that, they appreciate. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. And I think at, at some level, you know, when you're talking about like uh, uh, food preparation at a high level, and by that, I mean, you know, if you're getting paid to prepare food in the kind of setting where you work, uh, that counts, at least, you know, to my way of thinking, you're exactly right. You know, there is um, a lot of overlap with, you know, the, the, like what we say in our intro, the bon vivant stuff of our hobby. I did have to Google that, but it's hundred percent right. <laughs> <laughs> I did too, before I read it for, for our recorded intro. Yeah. Well, can you tell us like, so how did you get started as a chef? Like what like, kind of led you down that path? Okay. So check this out. Originally I get out of college. I went to university, New York university, not NYU, a New York university. And I got a degree in science education. So I actually used to teach children, which might be scary for some of you. (laughs) (laughs) But I also got out at the time of the, I guess, quote unquote, recession. And so there were not very many jobs available. So I was looking at schools in the city. I don't live in the city limits of New York City or any of the five boroughs. I actually live right outside of Queens. Um, So usually when you're a new teacher, the city is kind of your starting point and you start there because there's a large variety of schools there. There's charter schools. There are schools that are just in dire need of teachers. At the time, there just wasn't. And I remember going to interviews and it would would be a, you walk in and there was a giant line of people and you could tell they had more experience than me. I had zero. I was, I was just trying to get a job. So that was kind of disheartening, but I did, I wound up taking a couple jobs that were I guess less than desirable. I was commuting like an hour and a half to work. The kids were something special. I'll just leave it at that. And it was in a bad area. I, I, you know, I didn't necessarily feel safe when I had to leave late at night. And I used to come home. I used to, so I'd leave my house at five something in the morning, still dark out. And I would come home after my commute, sitting in traffic, and it would be dinner time. Mm. And I would be wound up and I would be anxious. Again, it was one of my, it was my first few years. So, I wasn't seasoned yet or anything. And I used to come home and I used to unwind by cooking food. And at that time, keep in mind, I was in my very early 20s. So it's not like I had my own house or apartment or anything. I lived with my family. And so I used to prepare food for all of us. And it was kind of a nice thing. We all sat around the table, kind of hashed out our days together and stuff. It was was something that kind of brought me joy. And so when I got to the end of my last year teaching, I just said, I don't know. I can't see myself doing this and I, I'm going to find myself something better because I didn't know if the situation was going to improve or not economically. I mean, I I assumed it would, but there was no light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So I wound up 
looking around and I said, what am I passionate about? Well, I really like cooking. So I got on the internet and I found a local culinary school. It's not the CIA. It's not Johnson and Wales. It was a place that I could get my foot in the door because keep in mind, I had student debt from a previous degree that I was basically not going to use anymore. So I had to find something more budget friendly, less time because I wanted to get in, get a job, start earning money. So I found this place. It's actually not around anymore, but it's close to me. It was like a year and a half program. It was basically a year of instruction and then a half a year of almost being like an intern, like you got a job somewhere and they'd help you find it if you needed to. Just to make sure you could hack it, I guess, kind of. And so after that was done, I did it at a local restaurant by me. Um, I basically went to the career services office there. They placed me in a country club. And since then, I've been working in the clubs because, yeah, you run yourself ragged for about nine months out of the year, but you also get like two and a half months off, which is very uncommon for this line of work. Yeah. Usually it's six days a week, somewhere between eight and 12, sometimes 14 hours a day the entire year. And I'm I'm not trying to do that. You know, I, I've got two kids. It would be unfair to my wife. It would be unfair to my kids. So I really enjoy the clubs and they tend to pay better because you have high profile clientele. You're trying to wow people. So I also enjoy that. You know, you get to do what's called um, soigne is a term that gets thrown around. Soigne basically just means upscale, like going all out. You get to do soigne food. And we have like some things like wine tastings and stuff where they basically take the reins off and they'll say, just wow the members. Like that's what we're trying to do is no food costs, like go all out, come up with something and have at it. And that that's always like my favorite stuff to do. And don't get me wrong. We do the, the standard like lunch and dinner. We do catered parties. We do events for the members. It's, it's a little bit of everything. And that's also kind of what always was interesting to me about it was we do the entire gamut of things. We, we do catering, we do service and our lunch menu is more or less the same for at least a couple months. Our dinner menu changes almost nightly. So you're never doing the same stuff. It's not like where you are falling asleep at your station, just making the same old thing every day. So you get that kind of creative license it's a little different than your standard restaurant. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm never getting a Michelin star there, but I also have a little more security. And like I said, the time off is invaluable. And I get to I get to focus on, you know, fun things like watches and, and the page during my time off. So that's great. That's awesome. That's a really cool story. I love that. You know, it, you listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, watch or non-watch. And ultimately, you get really kind of motivated, I think, when you hear people following their passions, right? And you took that pivot point and said, like, Dude, it was know. scary. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, because you're jumping off a cliff, right, to some degree. But you're like, this is what I'm passionate about. So this is what I'm going to do now. Yeah. And let me tell you, it was a little nerve wracking because another part of this industry is that when you first start out, you don't make crazy good money. It's hourly pay. And generally, where you make your money is overtime. So you're just trying to work as many hours in a week as you can and just rake overtime like crazy. And when you're first starting out, now it's a little better. But when you when I was starting out, like they're they're starting line cooks between twelve and sixteen dollars an hour. Like that's not a that's not a livable wage. You know what I mean? That's that's a little scary to be earning that. And you know, you work your way up the chain, and you can go fast. It really depends if you're passionate and you try to take as much responsibility as you can. 
and that's sort of what I did in my journey, but it's definitely a career or a, 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 a field that I don't want to say takes advantage of people, but it, it relies on people working for meager wages at some point. And that's, it, it always kind of stinks because you, you want to reward your good workers and you want to see people do well. And it's tough because in order to do that, somebody might have to go work somewhere else because there's only so many positions, right? Like I'm, I'm a Sue, which means I'm basically second in charge. There's usually only one, sometimes two in really big establishments. There are more, but basically the exec is so bogged down with things, menu creating, purchasing, all these things that they're not always around to kind of keep shop and make make sure everybody's doing everything correctly. So they have these sous that are sort of almost like the acting chef in their place. And that's what I do. I, I basically am in charge of a bunch of people and I kind of watch the chefs back and make sure everything goes right. Because if I fail, then he fails and then I have to hear about it. And so. <laughs> sure. Well, hey, let's bring this back to watches for two seconds because I, um, sure. I'm huge into food TV because I'm a dilettante and you know, there's, I, I notice, you know, it on the wrist of a lot of the celebrity chefs or, you know, people who are doing television, you know, there's a lot of nice watches is watch enthusiasm. Is that something that's pretty common in nice kitchens? You know, I think there are many layers to this. I think that once you hit a titled position, you want to establish yourself as somebody important and somebody who is doing well for themselves. So I can see that angle. I also think that it's somewhat of an artsy profession. You have an appreciation for not only fine things, but also visually appealing things, maybe some things that aren't different. And that's why I remember you and I, a few days ago, were talking about many of these we see are panorized. And why would that be? I know they don't have a stellar rep uh, reputation in the watch world, but there are a lot of these famous chefs and I, I think a lot of celebrities in general. And even in my experience... Like I said, I work with a lot of high-profile clientele. I've seen a fair amount of Panerais on their wrists. And just in talking with one gentleman, he said, it's like a Porsche. It's a design you recognize immediately. Mm. And I, I totally got it. And I, I've owned a Panerai in the past. And believe it or not, it was the most complimented watch I had ever owned. And I've owned some pretty nice stuff. So I totally understood it. And I just think it's where you have an appreciation for really nice things and you also want to communicate that you're you're a little bit of somebody. So I, I understand that there's probably many folds to this and it's all rolled into one, but I definitely think that's the angle. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think um, there's certain sort of high profile people, professional people, you know, that are in your life, in your being a generic you, you know, you, you want to see that your surgeon has a really nice watch. You want to <laughs> see that like the person who's going to sell your house has a really nice watch. Um, you know, you probably want to see that your chef has a really nice watch. Uh, there are certain other people like your divorce lawyer, you know, you don't want that people, <laughs> that person to have a really nice watch. Um, I can get that. And yeah, we did. We talk about in the, you know, on back channel, the, the whole Panerai thing. Cause that's something, I mean, when you think about that, who, you know, um, I'm trying to think, uh, oh, Steven Reichlin, I think is a Panerai guy. And a Wolfgang Puck I've seen. Yep. Yep. Certainly Guy Fieri. 
Guy Fieri. Yes. Sorry. And he that's that's exactly up his alley. Like he's all about the wrist presence in his yeah. just the presence in general, the dyed hair, the funny goatee, you know. But I mean, and let's even think, Greg, I don't know if you're familiar with this person, and I'm sorry, we're getting like into the the food side of things where I like totally geek out. I hope my friend Jim listens to this, by the way. Jim, if you're listening, hey. Um, I think you've shouted out Hungry Jim on every other episode. <laughs> I, yeah, I might as well. But uh, so probably my favorite chef, the person that I sort of look up to just because he wrote the book, I mean, literally and figuratively right there with Julia, right, is what did you call him? Uncle Jacques. Uncle Jacques. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jacques Pepin is a, a Panerai guy, I believe. And yeah, I think you're right. You know, c- cooking at that level is like you said, it's an art, but it's also, you know, there's a lot of science to it. And I don't know. I think that's a an interesting observation because Panerai is a, a style statement thing. And I definitely don't hate it. I've had two. I could go back and, and wear them again. They're really, they're interesting watches. And what you say about design is definitely true. You, you can, you can tell a Panerai across the room. Hey, did you guys know that uh, Guy Fieri and um, Sammy Hagar are partners in a, in a tequila? I did not. Which one? <laughs> I think it's called Santos. Uh, so Sammy, if you've been to Cabo, um, uh, in Mexico, uh, uh, Sammy had a famous, uh, tequila bar there, um, called Cabo Wabo and uh, it's still there. And, uh, there was a tequila brand that came out of it called Cabo Wabo. It got bought out by one of like the big conglomerates, you know, international beverage conglomerate. And so I think he had a no compete clause. And so he, for a few years, he was making this, he was calling it Mezquila. So it was like a blend of mezcal and tequila, kind of strange, and I think once that no compete was up, they launched it, you know, they already had the brand that was important to have that brand presence already, even though it was a different, you know, spirit, I guess, or cl- classification. And uh, once that no compete was up, I, they launched the, the tequila version of it, I think maybe two years ago or, or something like that. But yeah, Guy Fieri and, and Sammy Hagar. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, it's out there. It's out there. Right on. Well, so then let's, let me swing back by. I've got another quick question for you then. What do you think makes a good chef's watch? Is there, is it just style or, I mean, is there something that you would look for? Well, I feel like there are two different trains of thought here. One, I guess it depends what kind of chef you are because executive chefs specifically, and sometimes sues to a degree, Sometimes they're not so hands-on with their job. Sometimes they're paper pushers. They're at the desk doing a lot of number crunching. And it's a very mathematical business. It's a lot of profit and loss. It's a lot of understanding where your leaks are as far as money's going and how to repurpose things. So I totally get that. So to a degree, sometimes people are just doing a lot of paperwork or they're doing what's called expo. Expo is when you see, if you watch Hell's Kitchen or one of those, Gordon Ramsay standing at the the podium, taking the tickets, yelling to people, asking, hey, how long on this? I need this now. The cursing, all that happens. I've had food thrown at me. I'm sure we'll get into that too. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, if you're one of those, you can wear a nicer watch. And that's if you ever see me and I have a wrist shot and I'm at work and I'm wearing something nice, that's probably what I'm doing. I'm probably having a somewhat hands-off day or just a a day where I know I'm not getting too involved. If I'm working, I'm not wearing one of my nicer watches because there are just so many 
travesties waiting to happen. I mean, even the refrigerators, everything are made of steel. Like you, you bang it off something. There's, there's a ding, there's a dent, there's a scratch. And not to mention, you're going to, at some point, submerge your hand in things. So I don't want that in my bracelet. I wear a lot of my my watches. If I'm going to get my hands dirty, I'm wearing rubber the whole way because I know I can just, I could probably take it off the watch and run it through the dishwasher and it'll be fine. But I don't want chunks of meat in my bracelet. I don't want, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you're working with like anything tomato-y, it just gets in places and it does not come out. Like it, <laughs> it takes a lot of effort. So those are things I, I kind of think ahead when I'm choosing my watch for the morning. And I actually have a couple in my locker at work. I have a, a G-Shock. I have a, a Quartz Seiko diver in there that just in case I'm really going to get messy that day, I'll just swap it out. But I usually plan ahead and I oh, rubber is an absolute must. But if you're going to be, like I said, taking it easy, you can wear what you want. You just got to be careful walking around corners and who's walking by you and things because not everybody's always paying attention. Yeah, I spatchcocked a bird to, um, we joked around about that word, by the way. Is there any, Craig, <laughs> is there a, a funnier word in the English language? Like just say that slow in your head like two or three times. Yeah, I'm not but, saying it out loud again. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, oh, nice watch is coming off. And, you know, it's it, the watch is fine for that. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, God, what's going to get on this thing? What what kind of gunk is going to get in there? I would think you'd have to have something that's going to stand up to stand up to water. I mean, if, you know, you're literally going to you, you lean know, diver. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would think that's the deal. Um you know, something that, you know, would probably be a great chef's watch is that Zen EZM. I think it's the EZM 12, the paramedics watch, you know, the flight medics oh, watch where yeah. you, can, you can pry off the, they should rebrand that. That's, that would be fantastic for that. You, you know, pull off the bezel and take the, everything off of it and put it in the autoclave, <laughs> get it all nice and clean. All right. Well, hey, I've got a ton of questions, but I'm going to ask one more and then turn this over to Greg. Um, and it's not watch related, but, but there's a, I think, I suspect, right? There's a lot of overlap in the watch hobby, especially among, mm-hmm. let's be honest, especially among men for gear and contraptions and just basically physical crap, you know, accoutrement, whatever. And, you know, so I like, I'm into knives and steel and all that stuff. It, I've got, I, I wouldn't buy it with my own money, but I won in a contest, a green egg, right? You know, I love yeah, that. Those are expensive. It changed my life. That thing's awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, buy a Komodo Joe people if it's your own money, but um, all that stuff. But what is in terms of gear or stuff that you use in the kitchen, what would surprise us? That's like your most important or like maybe most prized you know, tool or, or implement in the kitchen? What are you using the most or value the most? Okay. So this is going to be a little weird. I I would say the obvious jump is your standard chef's knife is your most valuable tool. It's the most valuable, uh, sorry, versatile knife in your collection. And it kind of does everything. If you're going to do any kind of generic work, that's what you're going with. And mine personally, I want to say it Cost somewhere around three or four hundred dollars. It's a Misono. It's a UX10. It's a very popular. 
I think it's Swedish steel, but it's a Japanese company and it's it's very good and it holds an edge very well. It's kind of almost a bridge between Japanese knives and, and uh, the German style knives. Japanese knives are generally, and I'm going to say generally, a little more delicate. They're used for heavy vegetable and protein prep. Your German knives are very rugged. You can put them through anything. They hold an edge very well for a long time, even if you even if you uh, abuse them. So for me, that was kind of a happy medium. And they're expensive, and it's one of the more expensive chef's knives, but I think it's worth it. Aside from that, most of my knives are pretty – they're not cheap, but they're in like that $30 to $100 range where if I abuse it, I'm not feeling bad. I can sharpen it. And sharpening a knife is a lot like polishing a watch. There's only so much steel. So if you over sharpen it or just from sharpening it over time, you're eventually going to wear it down and have to get rid of it. So I like my specialty knives, my my boning knife specifically, because I'm going to be rubbing that up against lamb bones or something. Um, slicing knives, serrated knives. I buy those in, and this is a watch brand, Victorinox because they make wonderful steel. And at the end of the day, they're somewhat of a throwaway knife. I can use them, abuse them. And at the end of the season, if I feel like it's done, I'll just go buy a new one at the end of next year. I mean, at the beginning of next year, it's no big deal. 30 bucks, can't go wrong. My chef's knife is going to be with me a long time. I want it to be really good. And when you were talking about the Zin, um, they, they just released a, uh, or no, they've had it, but I just saw they were uh, pushing the Damascus steel. Yes. I have a Damascus steel shun knife and it, it's really cool looking, but that would make a very interesting pairing wrist and uh, in hand at some point. But believe it or not, and I'm going to probably surprise people with this. One of my favorite, very basic tools is the rubber spatula. It's it's probably, you know, it is like the baking spatula. It's a plastic handle and it's got a rubber tip. It is so valuable for so many things. Like I, I, I'll generally use that to stir things because it's a little more gentle than a spoon. So if I'm stirring something that I don't want to break up, it kind of allows me to get in there. But more importantly, when you are dismounting things, like if I'm taking something out of a pot or out of a container, you can use the flexibility of that to get every single last drop of stuff. And it is so valuable because at times, and it's crazy you'll have a service that's super busy and you've only prepped so many, so much of something. Like let's say, for example, mashed potatoes on every menu in the world. If you run out, you can't make that quickly. Like that's a 40, 60 minute process. So you have to take the rubber spat and you have to get in there and grind on that. We call it a bain marie. It's basically a, just a giant metal container that you have food holding it hot in. And you have to get in there and scoop out an extra serving because it's the last plate of the night and if you don't you're going to hear about it so that's one of my really uh valuable tools another one that's really valuable is the mandolin and they make kind of a few versions of this one it's the chinese one or the chinese japanese one is sort of the one that you've probably seen on like iron chef and stuff you hold it up it's plastic and you just kind of rub the the food on it you can adjust the thickness and it'll cut usually discs or like planks of something and then there's the heavy duty one which is all metal and that's the one. It's funny. I feel like a lot of people joke about it, but it, you can always tell when somebody's used one because if they miss, they get like the Wolverine mark on the underside of their wrist. It's like three or four just straight up and down like gashes. And 
hopefully you don't get yourself too bad. The only other way you get that is the uh, saran wrap. If you if you slam on the saran wrap to cut it and you miss and you hit the blade, you get you also get the wolverine claw. But it, it's almost a rite of passage from when you're starting out and very green to when you're not so hands-on anymore. But it's all really interesting. It's a really interesting culture, and I, I almost wish more people could see it from the inside because there are so many nuances and so many interesting things that go on. Like I have a tremendous bond with the people I work with and we have nothing in common. Like a lot of them come from either central or South America. English is their second language. I speak Spanish, but like we get along great. Like we, we meet on a lot of levels that are very strange, but you're like, this is so wholesome. Like I wish people could totally witness this. It's, it's a really cool industry in that. Right. And it's a shame. Like I said before that, it's not necessarily always great money, but it's definitely what they call that labor of love. Where if you if you are passionate about it, you you don't really. I get. I don't want to say care about the money, but it it doesn't sting as much as if you were working another job where you felt really underappreciated or, or worked really hard, and you also weren't making a great wage. Matt's such a, a much more accomplished and uh, creative chef than I am, but I'm so pleased to hear that the spatula like reigns supreme in your <laughs> tool set. Like that makes me feel so good. <laughs> yeah, it's very basic, which is great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I think um, I remember. I've so I've read some of Bourdain's books, and you know he he speaks so fondly of like his staff and the young guys, you know, who are from Latin America and he's kind of taking these dudes under his wing and you know, how much more valuable they are to him and his life as people <laughs> and so many other folks. Yeah. I actually, uh, I've actually, one of them is coming over for Christmas this year because he, in the past year, uh, lost his wife to mm. cancer. Oh, no. and so he, he's a great dude. And I, he kind of was just talking to me one day and he's like, oh, it's going to be weird. And I was like, you know, why don't you just come over? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he, he actually he works what's called Garmage. It's the cold station, generally salad sandwiches, et cetera. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I'll come over. And he knows my family. I'm uh, I'm 100% Italian. So we do the whole charcuterie thing. We do the the rolled prosciutto, salami, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, that's me this year. I'm doing it. It's usually my little sister who does it. But he's like, this year? She can rest. I'm going to do it. He was just so excited to be like invited and like included. He's like, I'm going to help you. It's going to be great. Cause obviously I get stuck with the the food prep for that. And, and a lot of my relatives come over knowing that. And it's kind of, I feel like for them, it's part of their selling point. Oh yeah. We're going to go over their house because the food's <laughs> going to be a one. That's cool as hell. Do you guys, um, you know, bro, do you, do you get fooded out or, or do you like to consume more food content? I wanted to ask both of you what your favorite food shows are right now. If you, if you watch them. So, you know what my really usually my go to is Top Chef because I feel like those are the people that I'm not competing with, but trying to operate on the same level as, and that I'm trying to always raise the bar in the same kind of vein that they are. And many of them have a much more impressive resume than I. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a better chef. I know plenty of people who have really good resumes based on where they've worked and in working next to them, they can't boil water. But there are some people like my instructor who I was with at the school, I believe she sued for 
I think it was Danielle Boulud. It was either Danielle Boulud at Danielle or John George. It was one of the two, but very big name here, like tremendous, like worldwide. And so when she told me that, like I knew, I was like, this person knows what they're talking about. I'm going to absorb everything they tell me. But it's kind of that kind of industry where everybody's about the resume. Oh, I worked for Thomas Keller. Well, did you really work for Tom? Did you work with him or did you work in a restaurant that he is the proprietor of? Mm -hmm. Like that always kind of bothers me. It's like, oh, I worked for this person. I'm like, did you ever meet them? Or did you work for the person who is the chef de cuisine or their sous or whoever? Because that's probably what the case was. And how much did you absorb there? Because I know plenty of people in the industry, actually a few people I've graduated high school with did the same thing, went to college, found a career, and then wound up going into culinary, which is weird. And we all met up at our our, our ten, re, 10 year reunion not that long ago. And we kind of had a fun chit chat about it. But it's kind of that same thing. Like you can say who you worked for, but when it comes to getting your hands dirty, that's when you find out who has the chops and who doesn't. And that's for me, that's the fun part because not only there is no way to know everything. There, there is always somebody who's going to humble you. And even when I first got into kitchens out of school, not that you have a chip on your shoulder or anything, but you feel like you know something. And then the dishwasher comes over and sits down next to you to do the same prep you're doing and is just lapping you. And you're just like, huh. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I have a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 a very humbling industry and it's you're never done. You're never done learning. You're ne- never done pushing yourself and you're kind of only as good as your last dish or your last service. And that's, that's kind of the motto is don't ever rest on your laurels. And if you're not pumping out top notch stuff, you have to kind of look within yourself and say, why not? Because if you have that ability, you need to be doing that. So that's like Rolex circa 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go back to two seconds ago where he said like, yeah, this was uh, the 10 year reunion. I'm just, I feel so old. Oh my God. Actually, let I me, think- uh, let me backtrack on that. That was not that, recent okay okay (laughs) i'm 36 it's not that reason i just i'm like let me me do the math here i can pretty well yeah i can be your dad uh okay (laughs) anyhow well um so you know there's i think we could almost do an entire episode on celebrity chefs and watches easily yeah um who are who's is there anybody that stands out like is your favorite for risk game I don't know if I have a specific favorite, but there's definitely people I've noticed just throughout. And going back to uh, to what Greg was talking about before, there's a few Netflix. They're not documentaries. I guess they're contests. They were they were kind of I'm trying to remember the name. It's not Best Restaurant. Best Restaurant was fun. If you've never seen Best Restaurant with Gordon Ramsay, he kind of goes around the entire UK and finds the best the best of every little, the best Italian spot, the best Middle Eastern spot. And he kind of puts them against each other, which is really cool. I'm trying to remember. It was basically a global contest with really renowned people and they kind of paired them up. And then after they knocked enough people out, then they were on their own. And I'm trying to remember the name and I can't, but there was a lot of really nice watches on there. And one of the chefs on it is named Claire Smith, female chef from Northern Ireland, and I believe she's got three Michelin stars, which is really like the pinnacle yep. of chefery. 
Like that means from what I've heard, like the, the person who comes in to rate you will test every single person you've got from busser to GM to your chef. Like they'll, they're going to go in the bathroom. They're going to take their napkin with them and they're going to drop it in there, go back in 10 minutes and see if anybody picked that up and was like, this does not belong here, which is insane. Because if you've ever been to any restaurant, everybody's usually so busy and have, has their head spinning that they're not going to pay attention to that. So it's really crazy to be able to get three Michelin stars. But I remember in watching this program, was it called the final table? Yes, that's it. Final table. That's the one. Claire Smith Greg has for the win. Aluminor case with a lime green. I, I think it was a croc strap, but I was like, this is so cool. Like that's flair. Like she is killing it with this. And I've also seen her with the, I think it, I think it's a, a Hublot classic fusion and it's got diamonds in it. But again, like I said, when you're doing different jobs, you can get away with that. You're probably not wearing that if you're going to be butchering an entire pig. But I was just like, this is cool. She's totally rocking this. And I, I think it's exactly what we were talking about before is that it's, it's a bit of an artsy look. It's alternative. It's not your standard. If somebody told you to draw a watch, you're not drawing a Panerai Luminor. You know what I mean? And also, it's got that kind of uh, Italian flair to it. Eh, Panerai. You know, it's yeah, it's got it's panache. a little bit. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I think those are all the things that equate to that. But she was definitely one that stuck out to me. And actually, the guy who won, not when he was on that show, but I saw him on a different show and he was wearing a 16570 and I was like, right on, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> very cool. There's something about um women who like confidently wear a full size Panerai that looks so good, like on any any woman's wrist. But it's about how you wear it, not, you know, yeah. the watch itself. Yeah. Yeah, and which could be said it? which could be said about anything too, right? Like you could you could wear whatever you, I think, bro, you might've even been talking about this recently too on, on a couple of your episodes, but you know, wear what you like and wear it with confidence. And, and sometimes it brings you confidence too. And, and that, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Sometimes it, it brings you confidence to wear what people don't like. Yeah. Right. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with wearing something. I mean, I think the watch I have on now, I, I want to say it's 43 millimeters, but it's not small. And I have a pretty average size wrist. And I think a lot of people would say, oh, it might be too big. But like, do I care? Not really. Like, I, I think that's what the fun part of the hobby is, like experimenting with your own tastes. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's your wrist. It's right. You only get that one opportunity. I mean, you can switch watches in a day, but you wake up in the morning, you go over to the box. What am I picking? That's kind of your one opportunity in the day to really say, OK, I'm expressing this today. This is what I'm going with. And that's a lot of the fun for me. I, I think that's what it is for a lot of people and for people to ruin that is kind of really lame by just throwing kind of gen generalities out there and saying, oh, well, nobody should wear a watch this big. Well, who cares? It's not your wrist. You, you, if you think it looks foolish, you're not going to be the one looking foolish. So who cares at the end of the day at all? Um, but yeah. And Matt, going back to what you were saying was about being a female I give her a lot of credit because a lot like our hobby, cooking is very male dominated. It's very macho. A lot of the, you said you read a lot of Bourdain's books, but there's a lot of very unspeakable things that have gone on in kitchens. But if you were a female who's made it up the ranks, you have probably endured a lot of harsh treatment, I'll say. And the first chef that I worked for, not only my instructor who I was talking about who worked for the names in New York city, but my first chef that I worked for was a female and you can almost tell she was like that hardened battle tested because she would give you just no nonsense. Like I said, I had food, I had a 
a, a plate of scallops thrown at me once and I had a piece of Chilean sea bass thrown at me once. Now, granted, it was like my first time making them and I didn't know anything about it. And I really didn't get a precursor. Generally, if I'm <laughs> going to give somebody a dish for the first time, I'm going to give them the cliff notes at least as to how to do that. I was told, oh, well, just leave the sea bass in. It takes a long time. Now, I'm checking it because I'm nervous and I don't know anything. I'm a rookie. And I keep looking in the oven and I'm like, it's starting to get a little black on bottom. I think I should pull this out. I'm going to pull it out. I made an executive decision. So basically what happens is when you order something in a restaurant, if you ordered an appetizer, they make it like 80, 90% of the way and then hold on to it. And then when you're ready for it, they'll finish it and then send it out. So I was at that stage where I thought it was pretty much done. I send the first one out and it comes back undercooked in the middle. Okay. No big deal. Throw it back in. All right, I got this. Second one, undercooked in the middle. I kind of get the look. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, fluke. Third one comes back, undercooked. She looks at me. She takes it, rips it open to show me the rawness in the middle and then rears it back and just hurls it. And at that point, like, you feel bad because you're like, yeah, I've let you down. Like, at the end of the day, the way it's explained to you is it's not the cook's name on the food. It's the chef's name on the food. So I totally understand it. You're just like, wow, this is really humiliating. <laughs> wow, man. I'll tell you, talk about instant feedback. Yes. Yes. It ain't chef friends. It's chef business. That's it. Yikes. Speaking of uh, sort of, I don't want to say counter watch culture. I don't know if that's quite fair. It seems a little dramatic, but sort of, you know, counter to sort of the generic watch culture. You know, you guys launched launched uh, Wrist Cheese Radio, gosh, within the last probably, what, two weeks. Yeah. Um, tell us, like, you know, the how. How did it come together? Why? Why did you do it? And uh, and what are your impressions on kind of, kind of being a, a podcaster? So it's something I've always wanted to kind of venture into. And I had two buddies that actually helped get me into watches. So they liked watches before I did. And they have corporate Manhattan jobs. And so we actually made a couple episodes that were pretty fun. But at the end of the day, they kind of just got a little gun shy. And they said, well, if this ever blows back on me, I'm going to lose my job. At They work for pretty powerful companies in the global stratosphere. So I understand. And it never made its way out, which stunk because I really felt like they were very entertaining. Um, comes along. I. I meet Schmidt through watch friends, I guess you call them. We don't live anywhere near each other, but. And he travels for work. He actually came through New York and we hung out. And he was like, we should really totally start a podcast. And I was like, dude, I'm down if you want to do it. Just be prepared because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Like, I'm going to have like show notes. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be jazz up to talk about things. I'm going to be passionate. Like you're going to have to match me. And he's like, no, I'm totally down with that. I'm totally down. Okay. So that was kind of what we did. And just kind of the approach to the show was, I really enjoy watch podcasts as lame as that sounds, because I commute, let's say 25 to 40 minutes a day, depending on New York traffic. I enjoy something that I can relate to in my commute. I'd rather not listen to top 40 or talk radio. I, I used to be big into sports, but it's just, it's just one of those things that I can't pay as much attention with kids and a, a, a hectic job. So 
you know, watch is kind of my thing. So I listen to podcasts and I'll listen to everybody. I don't really have a play favorites or anything, but I have some that I, I prioritize. And what kind of happened was, I don't know if you've noticed this as well. A lot of them have kind of, I don't want to say gotten flaky, but they've fallen off a little bit. And so I thought it was kind of the perfect entry to get into. And I said, if we're going to do it, we'll do it now. And so I wanted to talk about things that a lot of people don't talk about because I, like I mentioned in the first episode, a lot of people are sponsored or they get their content from, I guess, being not gifted, but just being sent watches to review, to photograph. And so they, they have to maintain good relationships with people. You can't be overly con, uh, you can be overly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Overly critical of a watch if they're going to keep sending you stuff. I, I feel like that would kind of sour the relationship. So we wanted to just talk about things, and it's not necessarily bashing things. And I, I tried to drive that home at the last, the end of episode three was that at the end of the day, I, I really enjoy this hobby, and I, I don't want people to think that I'm just out here trolling people or bashing people. I'm, I'm trying to give an alternative viewpoint that. Maybe people agree with, maybe they don't, but it's not all rainbow and sunshine. You know, at times I, when I, I see a post from whether it be a giant blog or just an individual account that's pretty popular, not that I'm passing judgment on it, but it elicits a certain emotional reaction. I, and I always think, are other people seeing this the same way as me or is it just me and I'm just in my little bubble? But more often than not, and that's kind of how this page got its popularity was that people do agree and they there's more of us than we think there are. And so that was kind of what I wanted to put out content for was people who collect in all realms, people who aren't just looking at fancy things or people who liked everything from top to bottom. It's, it's a fun hobby in that respect where you can get in at any point or you can, you can get in at a low point and appreciate everything else. There's not necessarily a cap on it. And that's kind of what I hold so near and dear to me. And that's that was what made me want to make Rich Cheese Radio is let me make content for everyone. And you know the people who are on the receiving end can kind of have a laugh at themselves because I do that. As I've explained many times, I bash myself. If you saw my meme today where I said, bros in October and it's the guy in the pink, like I was all about that for the past mm. month. You know, I, I, I'm very happy to be able to have turned that uh, turned over that kind of money to a charity, which is great. But that was me and I own it and that's fine. And now all the Movember bros are on and that's great also, you know, people using their platform for good things. And I think that's really great. But that was sort of my impetus in making the show was let me make content for people who want to listen to something where the hosts don't care about who has anything to say. And if people have something negative to say, that's fine. They're allowed, they're entitled to their opinion and that's okay. And I'm comfortable with that. And, and I, people have DM me on the show or privately and they've been like, well, I disagree with this. And I, I'll say to them, I'll state my case and I'll say, it's okay to disagree. I have no problem with that. And that's totally cool. And I think that's what's great about it is we can make points against each other and it's totally fine. And I, it's what makes this hobby fun as opposed to being getting like a negative feeling out of it where you're saying, oh, the people are against me. It's not about that. It's, it's about people feeling just differently and you can be civil and converse and that's totally cool. Wow, I, th I think <laughs> not to get too like uh, metaphoric about it, but you know, maybe sometimes in our our lives in general these days, you know, there's not enough like kind of healthy discussion about yeah, things. I would agree, 
And uh, so just the fact that we could have that and say, hey, I like this or I don't, but we could be respectful and still talk about it in a way that's cool and be entitled to our own opinions and our own likes and dislikes and, and still be, you know, friends at the end of the day or respect each other at the end of the day. Uh, it's probably a good thing, not only for the watch community, but sort of, you know, writ large, I guess. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I'll, I'll say, you know, explain it, you know, tell me how I want to know. I want to see your viewpoint. I want to understand where you're coming from. And if you like something I don't, give me what does it for you. I, I want to see it through your lens. And that's what's cool about it is that somebody can sit down and tell you that. And then maybe you have an appreciation for it. I mean, I know my, my tastes have changed tremendously since when I got into this hobby. I, I remember I was pretty much exclusively a diver guy when I got in and I just wanted to have crazy dive watches because I wanted to have water resistance and toughness and be cool. And now I'm all over the place. And if I would have asked myself then, if I would be where I am now, I would say, no, no way. But that's just what it is. And that's, again, what's fun about it. Speaking about kind of using your, you know, account and, and sort of connections and energy to do good things, right? It's not always bashing. Like you said, it's not about, you know, bringing people down. Like you you just mentioned it, but I wanted to see if you could just share a little more information on on that Oris fundraiser. Well, I shouldn't say Oris fundraiser, the fundraiser that you did that included an Oris and kind of what the outcome of that was, because it sounded awesome. Yes. Yeah, so essentially the way it got started was I have some people who are close to me who are affiliated with the American Cancer Society here in the greater New York City area. And just in passing, I said, hey, maybe I could help out. I have a pretty good reach, I feel like. I would like to be able to turn over a good deed for you guys and maybe I can raise some money for you. On the other end of that, they're kind of like, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, I'm not just going to ask people for money. Like, I'm going to come up with a plan. So I reached out to a few different, I guess, brands, companies, whatever you want to call them, through Instagram, because that's kind of where I'm known. And the reception wasn't great. And what happened was on some post, and I can't remember which one it was. There's a dealer that I'm very close with out in Colorado called Right Time Watches. They commented, I said something about I'm trying to give away a pink watch. And they said, well, why don't you talk to Oris? They're good about that. And it's funny because I did message their Oris account. And I don't know if it ever got read, but uh, VJ Geronimo, who is one of their higher ups there, I don't know his exact title, but really nice dude. He said, DM me. And I kind of just said my piece and I said, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And I'm 100%, I, I will be ha as hands off as you want me to be. You can send the watch to ACS and that's cool. Like, I don't want you to think I have my hands all over this. I'm not trying to gain anything. I'm really just trying to do something cool. He was totally receptive. He said, you got it, sent it. And I kind of waited till October because it seemed appropriate. Pink dial. The event is called Real Men Wear Pink. Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It totally made sense. So I said, from the beginning of October, I'm going to make this announcement. I showed it off. People were super receptive. We raised over $6,000 for breast cancer research and everything from testing to prevention to helping people who are underprivileged who need treatment. And that's, I, I almost feel like it's the good karma for like when I, I, get on people about things like I, I can give back and 
it makes me feel good inside and I get sleep at night. So, but <laughs> no, we, we really had a good, a good showing. And I, I just announced the, the, the uh, winner today and he's actually out by you guys. And Josh knows him. Oh, no kidding. Uh, I don't know if you guys know him. Beer and watches. Oh, no Name way. Yeah. 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 He was the winner of the Oris, which is super oh, cool. Man. That's really cool. So he's cool. got a bronze Oris coming to him and he made a very, very generous donation. And so I, I'm happy he was one of the people who won it. And really, I, I'm just super grateful. I'm super grateful that people even paid attention and a lot of people showed up for it. And even uh, Wolbrook Watch Co., shout out to them. I bought one of their pink tropic straps and I've been just kind of showing it around for the month. And I guess it must have garnered some attention. And they said, hey, we're going to kick in 10 of these for you. So I had 10 runners up who I've contacted who also won those, which is pretty cool. Damn, that's, that's- cool. Yeah, th- that is very cool, actually. And Beer and Watches has a fun, uh, a fun feed. We, I, I try to copy him on a lot of stuff that I post. That's cool. All right, so I have a super interesting um, question. I've been, I, I don't know how I came up with this, but I hope you like it. Um, okay, this is your last meal on Earth, and we're curious: what is it? Who preps it? Could be you. Could be somebody else. And what's on your wrist as you're, you know, as you enjoy it? You can pick anybody. So like, dude, Eric Repair or, you know, uh, Rene at Noma or you you mentioned Daniel Balut or Jacques Pepin or whatever. I'm tempted. I've always been a big fan of David Chang. I don't know if you know him. He does Momofuku. Yeah. I actually, I took my wife to his restaurant, Ma Pesh, before, uh, I popped the question to her. So that's always kind of a special place for us. I would, I would like to do something with him, but at the end of the day, and this is a total curveball. I think if I was going to eat my last meal on earth, my mother makes the best eggplant Parmesan I've ever had in my life. And nobody has ever, ever topped it. And I don't know (laughs) if it's, I don't know what she does. I don't know what little detail she does, but it is so superb and so i feel like appropriately the person who brought me in would be also the person ushering me out my mother's eggplant parm in an unlimited quantity because i feel like i could eat it till i'm blue in the face and like sick and what's on my wrist that's a tough one (laughs) i guess with unlimited options I think I would go with something classy, but not over the top. I feel like I would want something flashy, so maybe something in precious metal like gold, and maybe something just like uh, either one of the the really funky like Grand Seiko models or like a really vintage Oyster Perpetual, something dressy, cool, but not something that people are out rushing to get. I feel like that's what I would go with is something low-key, but when somebody saw it, they would say, I don't know what that is, but that's definitely something interesting. Yeah, Grand uh, Seiko. I would, need so, I would need so much time to 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 delve into that one. But <laughs> Grand Seiko just always gets me because their dial work and their finishing and everything yeah. is so elite. And I know, you, I know you guys have touched on this on your show. And when I hear it, I'm like in my car screaming, yes, because like I feel like I'm one of the only other people who push this. Like if they released an OP with Grand Seiko dials or whatever like the markup on them would be insanity like it's okay to say you like something that's not a rolex it's fine yeah. like 
like the the Shun Bun, I would I don't understand how you could fork over money for a modern OP instead of going Grand Seiko dress wide. It does not make sense to me at all. Yeah, we were talk Greg and I were talking about this earlier today on the phone and you know there's just so many things to like about Grand Seiko. So, I don't know the the reference number and thanks a lot Grand Seiko, your reference number suck, <laughs> but the um I'm thinking like the elegance kind of collection, gold case, hand-wound spring drive. Um, Greg, we saw a couple of them at Feldmar. The 12, you know, the one the 12, yeah. Yeah. And it was like a like a chocolate burgundy dial, something like that. Oh God. I was gonna ask you what like what wine would you have with that eggplant parmesan? <laughs> but... Or any drink, any drink. You could pair it with anything you yeah. like. Yeah. Um I feel like if you're going out though, you want to do something big. I'm partial to reds. I really, I'm more of a red guy than a white guy. I white, guy, but I, <laughs> I just find the red wines have much more nuance to them and much more depth of flavor. I don't think I have a specific one in mind, even though I've tasted a fair amount of them, thanks to my job and just having them on hand, but just something in the deep red where it, re- I just find the reds complement your meals so well with, with the notes they can hit and the depth. I guess something in the Cabernet Sauvignon or something range. Um, but I also really like dessert wines. I found, I found like the ports and things like that after a meal are really like a one at instead, maybe instead of having a, a heavy dessert, you can just have a, either a cordial or a, a dessert wine. And I, I've, I've had the pleasure of thanks to my job, dining at the CIA, which is the Culinary Institute of America, and they have restaurants within them where they're trying to push out very classical things. And they they obviously do a wine pairing with every single dish you get. But I just remember on the way out, they gave us a super good port wine and it, it kind of really just put a finishing note on the meal. And it was one of the more special, memorable meals in my life. And I, I can recall some of the dishes even that they did, which is really, really cool. I like that. That's really good. A little bit like, uh, you know, off center. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good choice. And I like that perspective actually, maybe go easy, you know, uh, a sparkling water for your, your entree, your meal, and then a, a dessert wine or something after. Um, I remember once I was in the, uh, like kind of the library area, you know, underground at toe cologne, which is kind of the, the high end part of Robert Mondavi. And the the guy who was our tour guide with a group of like five people was this, he was the chairman emeritus of one of the, the champagne or the sparkling houses in Napa. And his part-time job was just tour guiding VIPs. And uh, after about five or six really heavy pours of, you know, red wine tasting at Mandavi, he's like, hey, does anybody like Sauterne? And he just goes to the library wall and just pulls off. And it, I mean, it was one of, uh, you know, I won't say which, I don't know if the, I don't know if he's still with us. It was long enough ago. It was before my kids were born and she's 18, but you know, he, it, it clearly a wine that he was not authorized to open and, uh, you know, a, 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 a Sauterne and we left that place so effed up, but <laughs> it was, that was great. Yeah. That was one of the best wine drinking experiences of my life. Anyway. 
I think that's probably the end of our questions or close to it. Greg, do you have anything else you want to add? No, no, we could probably uh, maybe circle back and just do sort of like parting notes or anything interesting we come across. Sure. Well, why don't you uh, lead off? Do you have anything? Yeah, was, you know, I'll bring it back to sort of the Pachuga conversation. There was a article I was checking out in Forbes. We can put it in the show notes. And it was interesting, you know, bro had hit on it earlier, like, hey, you know, you know, tequila's having a moment, you know, mezcal sort of getting there too. And so even these Pachuga, um, you know, Pachuga variations on it, you know, it's being picked up sort of more mainstream, whereas before it was kind of a little bit more under the radar, kind of a little underground. And uh, the article was about sort of how tequila was even p- picking up on making pachuga tequilas, which is not really a traditional thing to do and sort of odd, but it was interesting for for it to show up in a place like Forbes and sort of the wine and, and spirits category of the of the article. And so that was kind of caught my eye. It was kind of odd, but interesting nonetheless. Bro, we don't want to put you on the spot. Um, if you want to take a minute to think, I'll go first. But uh, in fact, how about this? Let's just make a command decision. You don't necessarily have to say anything, but I have something. This is not something that exists yet, but I was um, you know, just kind of going back and forth with uh, our mutual friend, Cole Pennington. We had him on to do an episode yeah, probably about three or four months ago, and he'd mentioned that he had a small series of videos in the works that are going to be released through Hodinkee. Uh, and it seems like that is almost done. So sometime maybe in the next 30 days, folks, keep your eyes out for a Hodinkee release from Cole Pennington. I think it's going to be something like the way he described it and he pitched it to me and I, I, I'm not going to give anything away. He sent me some some videos and stuff. But think of like, you know, a week on the wrist meets Bourdain, no reservations kind of thing. Okay. And uh, yeah, just very, very, very cool looking kind of in the wild content. And that's coming. I'm, I've been looking forward to it for a while. And yeah, that's that's my recommendation. So just keep your eyes open, I guess, is my recommendation. Yeah, Cole and I are actually pretty cool. And we we've even joked about having like a like a break the internet like almost like a ho dinky meets bro dinky meetup type of thing in the city <laughs> one like at some point because that would really it would get everybody there and it would be so insane but you know venue and restrictions and things are kind of a challenge but that would be super super cool and yeah Cole and I are very cool and we 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 talk once in a while but we there's definitely a mutual respect there me and Greg and Josh and Summer from the Out of Time podcast will uh, will rent a G four and fly out there, or G five or five fifty or whatever the new hotness is. That would be fun. Are you going to fly? No, <laughs> not mechanical enough. Yeah, absolutely. So. I guys, I think that's that's probably about where we're at for today. I think we can easily do another one of these. I don't know if you're down, bro, but yeah, definitely, that would be, definitely. That would be fun to come back and like rate the celebrity chefs. I mean, there's a, there's a whole laundry list of topics that we haven't even hit yet. Favorite dishes. I'd love good recipes. I would love to actually reverse engineer like a cocktail matchmaker where we give you a cocktail and we ask you to build a menu around oh, it. Totally. That would yeah. be rad. That would be awesome. Yeah. That's like, that's one of the, you know, central like tenants of the podcast is basically, you know, Matt cooking and then trying to pair something interesting with it, but that would be a really fun twist on it. Yeah. Let's go backwards. Like, Hey bro, if I had like a, uh, 
you know, maybe a, a three or $4,000 bottle of red wine, what menu would you build around it? If I was going to court, you know, open that for a special occasion, like a, an 82, you know, Margot, what would you, what would you suggest as a, a menu to build around that wine or something like that? That'd yeah. be fun. Yeah. And you totally kind of just like scout out what the flavor profiles are and the terroir of where it came from. And it helps you kind of build a, a starting point, I want to say. And then from there, you can choose your, you know, ethnicity or whatever that you're going with. And it's, that's kind of what the fun of what I do is. And that's what I was talking about earlier. We have a wine dinner and that's kind of what we do as well. And it's a lot of creative process, but being able to, I guess, flex that is sort of justifying your position, like being able to either just hit it on the head or just take an idea and totally run with it in a different direction and justifying that and making people able to see your point of view on how you got from these flavor notes or this flavor profile to something totally off the reservation, but it works. And like, that's, what's so fun about what I do. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I, I hear that as a yes in my head. Yeah, no, we're doing it. (laughs) Five beers in, I'm like, we're doing this. All right. At 14% each. Lord, no, they're not. No, that was just that was one bottle, bro. <laughs> and then you went to the machete beers, the trejos. Right, right. You see the blood scattered all over the. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey guys, it's been a pleasure. Um, I think I'm going to turn my my bandwidth over to my kids so they can do some homework now. But uh, you know, it's been great, bro. It's been thanks for being patient with us for lining something up and and for being a good sport about staying up late. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely down to do a repeat whenever you're ready for that. So we'll just draw that up and we can devise a plan for that anytime. Sketch out the menu. Yes, certainly. Sweet. All right, gents. Well, hey, here's to you. So much fun. Appreciate it, bro. Matt, always good. This these late night, these late night after hours is kind of fun. I don't know, bro. You might have you might have started us off on a new thing. Matt's Matt was uh, well more prepared and socially <laughs> lubricated than usual. So this is good. It was. Nastrovia. All right. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Take care, guys. Be good. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at spiritoftimepodcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.